ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we'll begin with the new narration and that is where al-imam al-bukhari now says qala haddathana ali ibn abdullah qala haddathana sufyan an amr an ikrimah an abi hurairah yablughu bihi an-nabiy sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qala idha qada allah al-amra fi ضربت الملائكة بأجنحتها خضعانا لقوله كأنه سلسلة على صفوان قال علي وقال غيره صفوان ينفذهم ذلك فإذا فزع عن قلوبهم قالوا ماذا قال ربكم قالوا الحق وهو العلي الكبير This narration is similar to the previous one speaking about the same topic that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees an affair in the heavens the angels beat their wings in obedience to his statement and the sound of that is like a chain upon a rock so when that fear exits from their hearts after hearing allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when that fear then finally exits their hearts they say what did your lord say and they say it was the truth and he is al-aliyul kabir the most high the greatest in some versions it mentions idha furigha and that is the same meaning as fuzi'a meaning that when it is exited or taken out when the angels hear allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreeing an affair they hear allah speak then that causes fear in their hearts hearing allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so then when that fear comes and exits from their heart then they say what did your lord say and they say or in that other version as it mentioned jibril then says to them that allah spoke the truth and he is the greatest the most high the purpose of the narration is to highlight again that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks with a sound and a voice that is clearly heard by the angels the angels hear that sound and that voice when allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks with an affair decrees an affair there's a few other narrations that have that similar meaning أخذت أهل السماوات منه رعدة خوفا من الله وخروا سجدا فيكون أول من يرفع رأسه جبريل فيكلمه الله بما أراد فيمضي به على الملائكة من سماء إلى سماء that when Allah speaks the decree or mentions that decree or affair that it causes the fear in the inhabitants of the heavens when they hear allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speak it causes fear 
into the inhabitants of the heavens, the angels. And then they prostrate, they fall in prostration at that. When hearing Allah, they fall into prostration. And the first of them to rise up is Jibreel. And then Allah speaks to him with what he speaks to him with. Then Jibreel goes to the other angels from level to level in the heavens, telling them when they are asking him, what did, uh, what did your Lord say? So in that narration it highlights that they all fall into prostration before Allah. Then Jibreel is the first to raise his head, and then he goes through the levels of the heavens, And the angels are asking him, what did your Lord say? And he tells them that Allah spoke the truth and he is the most high and the most great. So that narration is like the previous one, highlighting that Allah speaks with a voice and a sound that is heard. The angels hear that, they fall into prostration. Fear falls into their hearts. That is all from hearing that revelation, hearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speak. Then Al-Imam Al-Bukhari says, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا يَحْيَى إِبْنُ بُكَيْرِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا اللَّيْفِ عَنْ عُقَيْلِ عَنْ إِبْنِ شِهَابِ قَالَ أَخْبَرَنِي أَبُ سَلَمَةَ إِبْنُ عَبْدِ الرَّحْمَانِ عن ابي هريره انه كان يقول قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ما اذن الله لشيء ما اذن للنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يتغنى بالقران وقال صاحب له The English of that says that Allah did not listen. Allah never listens to anything as he listens to the Prophet reciting the Quran and the person speaks That Allah never listened to anything. What's the wording exactly? Allah never listens to anything as he listens to the recitation of the Prophet ﷺ in a beautiful, pleasant and sweet voice. That Allah never listens to anything as he listens to the recitation of the Prophet ﷺ in a pleasant and sweet Voice, meaning reciting out loud. The point of this narration where it says that Allah does not listen to anything as He listens to the recitation of the Prophet ﷺ, then it is from that wording there, Adina. Adhina here meaning al-istima' al-adhan to listen to something. So Allah does not listen to anything like or as He listens to the Prophet ﷺ in that pleasant voice reciting the Qur'an in that pleasant and sweet voice. This is therefore an evidence for what? هَذَا دَلِيلٌ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ اللَّهَ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَىٰ يَسْتَمِعُ إِلَىٰ مَنْ يَقْرَأُ الْقُرْآنِ It is an evidence that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala listens to the one reciting the Qur'an. That Allah listens to the one reciting the Qur'an. وَكُلَّمَا كَانَ الْإِنسَانُ أَحْسَنَ صَوْتًا وَأَدَاءً كَانَ اللَّهُ إِلَيْهِ أَسْمَعًا And the more 
a person recites in that beautiful manner with the proper pronunciation, then Allah listens more. There is a greater emphasis placed upon Allah listening to the one who perfects and beautifies his recitation, his pronunciation in the recitation of the Qur'an. Recitation of the Qur'an, we know that is something important and it is mentioned in various narrations. The importance and the virtue of the Qur'an, the importance of reciting the Qur'an, So who can give us a narration highlighting the reward of reciting the Qur'an? There is a hadith that mentions every letter that you recite of the Qur'an, then you get Ten rewards. Ten rewards for every letter of the Qur'an that you recite. And in that narration it mentions Kullu harf bi'ashr Every letter has the ten rewards. But then the Prophet ﷺ highlighted that when you say Alif, Lam, Mim So how many rewards there? 30, not just 10. How many letters? Three. Because when you say Alif, Lam, Mim, that one word, there are actually three letters in it. So the Prophet said, La aqul Alif, Lam, Mim, Harf. Walakin Alif, Harf. Walam, Harf. Wa Mim, Harf. The Prophet mentioned, I don't mean Alif, Lam, Mim, that's ten rewards. No. Alif, Lam, Mim, the Alif is ten rewards. The Lam is ten rewards. The Mim is ten rewards. That one word, thirty rewards in the recitation of it. And we know, when it comes to the Qur'an, there are five points the scholars have mentioned. Five points that every believer should recognize in regards to the Qur'an. Taken from the hadith, Ad-Deenu Nasihah الدين النصيحة قالوا لمن يا رسول الله قال لله ولكتابه ولرسوله ولأئمة المسلمين ولعامتهم The point being النصيحة لله and also لكتابه What is النصيحة? Has 40 حديث من دون هي so what is a nasiha? Huh? So normally a nasiha, it's translated as advice, but here it means the purity of something, sincerity. You must have a purity and sincerity between yourself and Allah, toward Allah. And you must have this purity and sincerity between yourself and the Qur'an. But the question is, how and what is this purity and sincerity between yourself and the Qur'an? Five points, the scholars, they mention. Point number one, in this purity and sincerity between yourself and the Qur'an toward the book of Allah. Point number one is 
that you have the correct aqidah regarding the book of Allah. You have the correct aqidah regarding the book of Allah. And what is the correct aqidah regarding the book of Allah? That it is kalamullah, the speech of Allah, ghayru makhluq. It is not created. And then the phrases, they continue and they are mentioned by the scholars. Minhu bada'a wa ilayhi ya'ud munazzalun. That it is revealed from Allah. From him it began, to him it will return. That is the correct aqidah regarding the Qur'an. It is the speech of Allah. Not created, descended from him. From him it began, to him it will return. That is the Qur'an. Second point in this nasiha and purity and sincerity between yourself and the book of Allah is that you recite it. The book of Allah is not there to be left alone and not read. That you read the book of Allah. You recite the book of Allah. And we just mentioned the hadith about 10 rewards for every letter that you recite from the Qur'an. Third point in this purity and sincerity between yourself and the Qur'an. That's correct. The order doesn't matter specifically, but first point was aqidah, second point was recitation, third point you can mention is memorization as well. To memorize too, not just to recite, but to memorize the book of Allah, to memorize the Qur'an. And the more you memorize, the easier it becomes. The more you understand Arabic, the easier it becomes to memorize. And uh, one of the scholars once mentioned, it is one of the miracles of the Qur'an, that no matter how well you continue to memorize and revise it, you must always keep going back and checking and revising. Meaning, you look at the examples of some of the imams of the Haramain, for example. They memorized the Quran now for 60 years maybe. 50 years they finished memorizing the Quran. 60 years ago. They've been leading taraweeh every year for maybe half a century. 50 years maybe. Some of them leading the taraweeh prayer every year, finishing the Quran every year. And for the other 11 months, revising and leading the prayers and imams in their mosques. And yet after 50 years, they finished the Quran maybe when they were 10. Now 60, 70 years old. Been revising it, revising it for the last 60, 70 years, leading taraweeh and finishing it every year for the last 50 years, whatever, leading in the mosques as an imam for the last 50 years. And yet, still, when it comes to this Ramadan and they lead, there will be the odd moment here or there when they still slip up and make a mistake. One of the scholars said that is one of the miracles of the Quran. That you must constantly, always keep going back and revising it. 50 years you've been hafiz. 50 years you've been revising it inside out every year. And after 50 years you come and lead the prayer and still a mistake occurs. It is one of those miracles that it must regularly, constantly, always be looked at and gone back to and revised. So, thirdly, memorization of the Qur'an. Fourthly, to understand the meanings. Read the Qur'an, memorize the Qur'an. Point number four, understand it too. Understand what you're reading, understand what you're memorizing. Because only through the understanding can you do point number five, 
which is to act upon the Qur'an. So those are the five points mentioned by uh, Sheikh Al-Fawzan in his explanation of what Ad-Din Al-Nasiha means regarding the Book of Allah. That you have the right aqidah regarding the Qur'an, that you recite the Qur'an, that you memorize the Qur'an, that you understand it. Read through the books of tafsir, learn the meanings, understand what it's saying, and then that you act upon the Qur'an. The Qur'an was revealed for those types of purposes. It was not revealed to be made into ornaments and decoration pieces for the homes. It was not revealed to be made into portraits that are sold for 50 pounds in the Islamic shops. It is not permissible to have these artworks of Qur'an in beautiful frames on your homes. As Shaykh al he mentioned the Qur'an was not revealed to be a decoration piece in your walls, on your walls, in your homes. People say, but it reminds me and I can memorize. The reality is without being too harsh, that's nonsense. Nobody memorizes the Qur'an by looking at the portrait every day on the wall. And even if you are going to, what are you going to memorize from that? قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ آيَةُ الْكُرْسِي that's your memorization of the Qur'an for 20 years the post has been there. These are excuses and justifications people bring. The Qur'an is not for decoration. That poster, that portrait is there because it looks nice. It's not there because you put it up, I can look at it every day and memorize. If you want to memorize, you open up the Qur'an, you sit down and you read and you memorize. So these posters and decorations and portraits are work. It is not appropriate that it be done with the Qur'an. The Qur'an was not revealed for that purpose, not for decoration, for reading and learning and memorizing and acting upon. That is the purpose of the Qur'an. So here it mentioned that Allah does not listen to anything as He listens to the recitation of the Prophet wasallam in that beautiful voice and the more a person beautifies his voice then the more emphasis is given to Allah listening to that person in beautifying the voices when reciting the Quran what is the criteria of that because you've seen perhaps that there are reciters who used to recite the Qur'an in a way, in a particular way, but then afterwards their recitation became so melodious that it borderlines onto not really sounding like Qur'an anymore, sounding more like it's music or along that type of line. So what is the criteria? in the recitation of the Qur'an. It is permissible and correct that you beautify your voices in the recitation of the Qur'an, that you try to recite it in a manner that is uh, beautified in the, in the pronunciation, in the, in the delivery of that recitation. That is good. That is good and it is recommended, but not that it gets to a level whereby to, to say it in a blunt way it sounds like singing not to take it to a level whereby it sounds like singing and there is a clear difference when you listen to the reciters who are reciting the Quran in that legitimate proper manner and it's beautiful then you hear others and it is so melodious and the way they are trying to do it that you can barely even work out which ayah is actually even being read. Such is the tone and the melody and everything they are attempting. So there is a limit to it. It cannot cross over the limit into becoming like singing, becoming like that type of melody to it, but that it has a beautiful tone as you recite the Qur'an that is good.
a person who cannot there is a hadith it mentions that a person who recites the Quran then for him he gets the reward of that and a person who recites but he struggles then he will get two rewards one for making that effort and trying and reciting and he's doing it he's getting through a reward for reciting the Quran and the second reward for the extra effort that he has to put in the extra patience and effort and learning that he has to put in to be able to recite properly so being able to recite the Quran it is important and you should learn the minimum to pronounce things properly tajweed and to get to the higher levels of course for the one who is able and can learn and can put time aside to do that it is good to do to become eloquent in tajweed and the rules of recitation in the full proper precise manner how long you extend it for how long you don't where the voices join etc all of the various rules minimum though the minimum requirement is that you can pronounce the letters properly they are all being said in the manner that they are supposed to be said and you can read the Quran in that basic proper pronounced way and that is all that is required as a bottom minimum requirement even to lead the prayer Tajweed is not necessarily a requirement to lead the prayer in a situation where nobody had it of course when somebody has that ability we know the narration Aqra'ukum the one who is more capable in reciting leads but if nobody knew Tajweed then the person who can recite with the words being pronounced properly even if he doesn't know the full rules of Tajweed then that is sufficient to lead the prayer the only problem where it falls below the level of being able to lead the prayer is when somebody is not even pronouncing the letters properly especially and there's two types of not pronouncing the letters properly two types of the lahan there may be a person who's not pronouncing the letters properly when leading the prayer and his mispronunciation of things or even changing the harakat fatha dhamma kasra doesn't actually impact upon the meaning it could be that a person makes mistakes in his pronunciation in dhamma fatha kasra letters even but it doesn't actually change the meaning of what he's reading in that case the prayer is valid Shaykh al or some of the scholars they gave an example if somebody was to say Alhamdulillahi Rabbal Alameen it's supposed to be Rabbil Alameen but in that sentence there in that ayah there saying Alhamdulillahi Rabbal obviously grammatically completely incorrect like that but does it actually change the meaning in that sentence in that context it just doesn't have a meaning as such grammatically it doesn't work but has it gone over into meaning something else in that context in that example no so the prayer would be valid if somebody made a mistake like that for example but if somebody made a mistake whereby it does change the meaning then that's where the problems begin in the validity of the prayer and uh, whether that person should even be allowed to lead the prayer that is for example when the meaning is changed sirat alladhina an'amtu alayhim Sirat al-ladhina an'amtu alayhim Should be An'amta You, O oh Allah, bless them You've just said Sirat al-ladhina an'amtu alayhim The ones whom I have blessed Completely incorrect 
other things like the letter Dad, a big problem for many people. So instead of Wala Dalin, it becomes Wala Wala Zalin. That is actually a different word in Arabic altogether. Dallah to Zallah, Dal, Zal, two different words in Arabic, two different meanings in Arabic. You've now actually ended up changing the meaning of words by changing the dad into a zai. Similarly, changing the tha into a sa. Tha, alif, ba, ta. Tha, not alif, ba, ta. Sa. But that's how it is with many people and it's a big problem too. And I remember one occasion praying and an imam was leading the prayer and he came to the ayah, Inni uridu an tabu'ah. The ayah? Anybody? Huh? Bi'ithmi. But what did he say? Ismi. Completely changes the meaning of the ayah. Completely. So this is a big problem. Tha becoming a sa. And in names. People have names. Like for example you hear the name Kothar. But then it's Kosar. And you have other names. Ridwan. Rizwan. <laughs> All of these names they change. When they are actually a particular way in the Arabic language and the pronunciations. And then the people have changed them. And it's a problem. In reciting the Qur'an, that is a problem. Dad becoming a za is a problem. Because in certain ayat, you will change the meaning. Fa becoming a sa is a big problem. You will change the meaning. Even sad becoming sa, seen. Sa and sa. Sad and seen. A bit more subtle. But many people will make the mistake of pronouncing that incorrectly. A sad swapping it for a seen or a ha for a ha. Changing that changes the meaning of words altogether. An example they used to mention was when you say you go to the Prophet's mosque, it's known as the the what? The haram. Known as the haram. Everybody goes to the haram. What are you laughing at? The haram. You go to the haram in Medina, you go to the haram in Mecca, صح? Or you go to the haram. Must <laughs> haram? So you don't go to the haram, you go to the haram. Because where is the haram and the ahram? Where are they? Haram is completely different to haram. When you do the alphabet, alif, ba, ta, tha, jim, ha, that light sound. Whereas at the end of the alphabet you have the ha, the deeper one. When you say haram, it's incorrect. It's actually haram. Haram is pyramids. The pyramids are the haram, the ahram. I went to the haram. MashaAllah, you went to Egypt. That's what it is. You've changed the meaning completely with that ha to the ha. Haram. Haram. So these things when it comes to recitation of the Quran are important. They have a big impact on what you're saying and what you're reading. And a person may not realize. So at the minimum level you should learn how to pronounce things properly. Minimum level. Even if you can't do tajweed and all the higher rules. Minimum level at least. Learn how to pronounce all the letters properly. So that you can read the Qur'an properly at that minimum level. You can pray properly, recite your Fatiha properly. You know in the Medina when they used to teach the Qur'an teachers. Used to go to one of their classes for Tajweed. You want to make your recitation better. You go there and you start for example normally with A'udhu Billahi Shaytanir Rajim. And then, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, how to pronounce those properly. Then, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. To even get to Al Fatiha, you have to get through the stage of Al Isti'adha wal Basmala. 
that you might be stuck on for about three months. Then you go to Al-Fatiha, that could take you months. If you want it absolutely precise, the teachers may keep you on something for weeks. That sound isn't quite right how it's supposed to be. And we mentioned before, the chains of narration. There are some people alive right now. I think right now the chain of narration is at 25. If I'm not mistaken, 25. Right now I think that's where it stands at. Meaning, there are people alive right now, between them and the Prophet ﷺ, there are only 25 people. So, you learned from your Shaykh how to read the Qur'an. He learned from his Shaykh how to read the Qur'an. He learned from his, from his, from his, from his, 25 up and you're at the Prophet ﷺ. 25, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's where it's at. In the 20s anyway. So, that is learned and it is taught one after the next. So the point being here, it refers to that recitation of the Qur'an that Allah does not listen to anything as He listens to the recitation of the Qur'an of the Prophet ﷺ reading out loud in that beautiful voice. Why did Imam al-Bukhari even mention this hadith here when we're actually talking about the speech of Allah and that it is by sound and voice? Maybe the shaykh says just because of the link to the Qur'an and the Qur'an is the speech of Allah. The Qur'an is the speech of Allah. So perhaps due to that link here, uh, this hadith has been mentioned here. A few issues here the Sheikh mentions. Number one, ماذا عن اختيار إمام حسن الصوت في صلاة التراويح في رمضان? What do you say or what's the situation with picking somebody to lead the prayer for taraweeh, the one with the best voice? Picking him to lead the prayer اختيار الإمام حسن الصوت والأداء في رمضان أو في غير رمضان لا بأس به لكن بعض الناس يقول إذا أدى ذلك إلى تعطيل المساجد الأخرى فهذا هو الذي لا ينبغي يعني لا ينبغي أن تعطل مسجدك وتذهب إلى هذا هي also I think he's referring to the fact that people they select which mosque to go to in Ramadan for Taraweeh depending on which mosque has the best reciter. In our situation, that's not really an option because you have to go to the Salafi Masjid. You have to pray with Ahlul Sunnah. It's not even a choice of saying, I'm going to go here, going to go there. Maybe in some of the lands where you're blessed with that type of opportunity, all of the mosques are upon the sunnah, go and pray where you want, that's another situation. Here though, here though, you would go and pray with Ahlul Sunnah in any case, regardless of what the recitation there was like. You would go and pray with Ahlul Sunnah. But the Shaykh says in a situation, in for example Saudi Arabia, all of the mosques you can go pray where you want. You could go and say, I'm going to go to a particular mosque in your locality, because the Imam there has beautiful recitation. It's okay. As long as it doesn't mean certain other mosques become abandoned and empty. Because everybody's going to such and such a mosque. Normally the scholars say the basic rule is in that situation you go to your local mosque. That's where you should go. And you shouldn't say I'm going to travel out a bit more to the other one because he's a better reciter. In that situation, for example, Saudi Arabia, you would go to your local mosque and pray in your community in your local mosque. That's where you would pray. In this situation, like we've said, pray with Ahlul Sunnah. If you need to travel out beyond your locality to get to the mosque of Ahlul Sunnah, it's okay. Scholars have mentioned that's good and you should go and pray with Ahlul Sunnah. So, in this scenario, it's a case of going and praying with Ahlul Sunnah and in the mosques of Ahlul Sunnah, uh, here in Manchester, 
Manchester it is, in Bolton, Bolton it is, Stoke, Stoke it is. You pray in your local mosque with Ahlul Sunnah and you shouldn't. If you have a mosque in your area, according to this now, you shouldn't really go to another Salafi mosque in another area because their Imam is better. According to this, that's what it means then. So the Salafis here in Manchester should come and fill the mosque here. And they shouldn't say, well, Al-Basira, mashallah, this year, or Al-Huda, and then 20 cars from here going then, this is empty. That shouldn't be the case. So if you have a local masjid upon the sunnah, you pray that. Ask for the, the, the residents of places where there are no mosques as such, then we have freedom to pick and choose where we're going to go and pray. But otherwise, that is the case on that. Similarly, this is the point the Shaykh now makes. What is the meaning of beautifying the voice with recitation? Beautifying your voice with the Quran, meaning reading out loud and trying to perfect your voice, of course, and the recitation and the wordings. Does the issue of Tajweed come into this? The Shaykh says, yes. Reciting with Tajweed, no doubt, is from beautifying your voice and reciting. So the more a person knows Tajweed, the more you're going to be able to beautify your recitation of the Qur'an. What about when it comes to reciters and CDs and all these things that people listen to? There are scholars who've mentioned it is preferable that you should listen to the reciters that are Salafi, reciters that are upon the methodology of Ahlul Sunnah too. That you shouldn't listen to somebody, for example, who is known as an Ikhwani, for example. You shouldn't. Or somebody on YouTube who is known as a Sufi, but MashaAllah, you say his recitation is this and that. You shouldn't be listening to those types of people. You should listen to the recitation from the Salafi reciters. And when we were in Medina, they used to say there is nobody comparable. In Medina, they used to say there is nobody comparable in proficiency of Tajweed. If you want to perfect your Tajweed, then they used to say in Medina, there's nobody comparable to Al Hudayfi. Al Hudayfi who leads the prayers, but there's nobody comparable to him in his ability in Tajweed. So his uh, recordings are good to listen to if you want to practice your Qur'an, you want to practice your Tajweed, your recitation, and they are better than listening to somebody who has beautified voices in your opinion, because a beautified voice doesn't equal the best Tajweed. So, listening to the reciters that are legitimate is also something good and better to do. There are narrations from the Salaf how two people came, to Abu Huraira or Ibn Sirin. In that narration, when two of the innovators came to either Abu Huraira or to Ibn Sirin, and they said to him that, let us recite some hadith to you. He said, no, not a word. Then they said, okay, let us recite some Quran to you then. He said, not even that. Get up and go, or I'm going to get up and go. So they got up and went. Afterwards, the others, they said to him, to Abu Huraira or Ibn Sirin, they said, how come, when they said hadith, obviously you're not going to listen to them, mubtadi'ah, they might make things up, they may deviate things. But when they said they want to recite Qur'an, what's, what's that going to do? Qur'an they want to recite, listen to the Qur'an. He said, not even the Qur'an from them. Not even the Qur'an from them. They may de- uh, distort something, or they, their voices may enter my heart, or their distortions may enter my heart. In listening to them, and I may not be able to expel that afterwards. And that is known when you become attached to someone, in reciters especially, you become attached to a particular reciter because of his voice. And that reciter may be somebody who's not upon the correct methodology. And we've seen with some reciters how over time they changed. And instead of being legitimate reciters, they ended up doing all types of things that are completely illegitimate. 
So sticking to the uh, Salafi reciters is also something praiseworthy and good to do. The narration after that, it mentions, قال حدثنا عمر بن حفص بن غياف قال حدثنا أبي قال حدثنا لعمش قال حدثنا أبو صالح عن أبي سعيد الخدري رضي الله عنه قال قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول الله يا آدم فيقول لبيك وسعديك فينادي بصوت إن الله يأمرك أن تخرج من ذريتك بعثا إلى النار This hadith we came across it before but here it's mentioned to make the point regarding our chapter of the voice that Allah speaks with the voice when Allah says to Adam oh Adam and Adam says لبيك وسعديك meaning I'm here in your service I am here in your obedience, in your service. لَبَّيْكَ وَسَعْدَيْكَ And then, فَيُنَادَى بِسَوْتٍ Then it is called out with a voice that indeed Allah commands you to uh, extract from your offspring a selection to the fire. So, يُنَادَى بِسَوْتٍ تَأْكِيدْ لِقَوْلِهِ يُنَادَى so this is emphasizing the fact that it is a voice and that is the chapter here we've been discussing the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that it is with a voice and a sound that is heard and the final narration here it mentions قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عُبَيْدِ بْنُ إِسْمَعِيلِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَبُوْ سَامَةِ عَنْ هِشَامِ عَنْ عَبِيهِ عَنْ عَائِشَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهَا قَالَتْ مَا غِرْتُ عَلَى مْرَأَةٍ مَا غِرْتُ عَلَى خَدِيجَةٍ وَلَقَدْ أَمَرَهُ رَبُّهُ أَنْ يُبَشِّرَهَا بِبَيْتٍ فِي الْجَنَّةِ That Aisha radiallahu anha said, I did not have jealousy of a woman more than Khadija because Allah commanded, uh, Allah commanded him to give glad tidings to her of a house in paradise. How does he phrase it? Bibaytin fil jannah of a house in paradise, of a palace in paradise. Walaqad amarahu rabbuhu that Allah commanded him to give her the glad tidings. How did Allah command him? Allah spoke to him, spoke to him. Uh, and that was heard with sounds and letters that is heard. And that is the point of this chapter that Imam al-Bukhari was making regarding the sound, the letters that are said when Allah speaks and they are heard. Next chapter will start next time. It's a, a continuation in a way. Babu kalam al-Rabbi ma'a Jibreel, the speech of Allah with Jibreel. وَنِدَاءِ إِلَّهِ الْمَلَائِكَةِ And Allah calling out to the angels. That will begin with next time, inshallah ta'ala. We'll conclude upon that for today then. Is it this week, the Friday event? This uh, Friday 1st, huh? Friday 1st here, what time, 7.30? 7.30 in the evening, uh, Isha time. This Friday there's going to be an event here as well. Abu Iyal is coming. It's going to be a one-off lecture titled... Principles of Salafiyyah, which is balanced between not going to extremism and not falling into negligence. Neither extremism, neither negligence. Salafiyyah, that balanced middle path. So that will be the lecture this Friday as well. So this week coming up, Friday as well as the Saturday usual. Friday Abu Iyad coming inshallah ta'ala. So... That type of lecture, it's another reason to be able to bring your friends and family. Sometimes people, they make the excuse, you're in the middle of the book, how can I come and join? But then you have a one-off lecture, there's no excuse. A one-off lecture, an open type of one-off lecture. You can invite everybody, all the, the friends, the family, try to bring them in. Those kinds of one-off events serve a good purpose in that regard. In the regard of da'wah to the people and bringing them in. So it's an opportunity on the Friday and it'll be brothers will be here from outside they'll be here as well 
It's a good opportunity in those kinds of events to give da'wah to the community and to bring them in. An outside speaker, different face. Get to see somebody else as well, hear another voice as well. So it's a good opportunity. Invite your friends, family, and they come to that. And then inshallah ta'ala, from that you move on from the one-off event. And slowly you try to bring them into the regular classes, the regular gatherings. Because you remember, the scholars have mentioned, and that's something not just for the locals, the community, for our own brothers too. From the Salafis, those who are upon Salafiyyah, but they don't attend the regular classes, but they'll be there for the one-off events. You can give them da'wah too. You can encourage them that the scholars have mentioned. Knowledge is not going to be acquired in only attending one-offs. Scholars used to mention that. They used to say events and conferences, these types of one-offs, they are good and they are beneficial. They bring a good purpose for bringing the community in for da'wah, for clarifying a subject in that, in that framework of that subject. Yeah, good opportunities. Good opportunities for increasing iman. Everybody comes, it's a full gathering. All of those purposes. But learning the religion in terms of principles one after the next, learning the fundamentals one after the next. Scholars used to mention, you're only going to do that if you attend on a regular basis. So this Friday, bring in the community, bring in the, the, the friends, the family, everybody. And then on top of that, not only da'wah to them, but da'wah to all of the other brothers from our brothers who don't otherwise attend, but only attend those events to encourage them further to make an attempt to uh, attend regularly and to attend the classes on a more constant basis. So a good opportunity this Friday too, inshallah ta'ala. We'll conclude upon that for tonight then. And we'll resume next week, insha'Allah. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.